0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Wednesday, December the 8th, and we gather this Advent season around the true Word of God, and we are slightly pushed to epiphany as we look at a fresh look at Matthew chapter 2. It brings you back brings it back to as a child. Maybe you were in a Christmas play. Maybe you drove around your community. I know for my own home growing up, we had a display of the nativity and there were the three men, wise men in uh, royalty. Um, I remember playing as a kid, We Three Kings. At, I don't remember what service it was for, but I remember playing that. And the question is, was that accurate? Was it not accurate? What is accurate and what is not accurate according to this? And what is the main purpose of how Matthew put this in, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is going to be fun as we look once again at the Word made flesh. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information on their great work around the world, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back regular guest Pastor John Shank of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Edwardsville, Illinois. Pastor Shank, welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Study God's Word, especially in such a uh, a joyful Word to be able to look at, because it reminds us of the the coming of our Lord and and the joy of of us then being called to uh, to come and see him come and and worship him?
0: Yes. Well, one of the great, you know, I love how you said that, because first of all, this next Sunday is when we light the rose candle, right, for the joy candle, the joy Sunday. Um, I've always said gaudete, maybe it's gaudete, I'm not sure. How how do you say that word exactly? Do you remember?
1: I I say gaudete, but I'll take what, if they know,
0: (laughs) yeah, I was just talking about it in a
1: Bible study. Yeah, the rejoice, (laughs) rejoice.
0: Yeah,
1: I love gaudete. And And that really you're right, it's rose.
0: It's rose, yeah. See, I don't. You know, I need to find like a rose robe. I don't have a chasuble or rose uh, um, stoles or something along those lines. I don't have one. Do you have a rose chasuble or anything you put on? No, I don't either. We were yeah. talking about that as well. You know, to have a, to
1: have a rose pyramids. You know, can we can we get? We were like, can we get everybody to. To agree to spend a maybe a thousand or two or so for one day, one Sunday of the year, can we do it? I don't, maybe uh, not, but
0: probably not. I know I I won't be able would be to. Great. But I did, I did tell my congregation to wear a pink or a rose this Sunday. So we'll see what kind of yeah. response we get. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But but here's the reason I say this is in verse ten. This connects when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, I can't think of a better text for us to be able to look at today that isn't necessarily Adventy, but it is definitely part of the whole narrative we have this morning. So, uh, so Pastor, tell me, what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Trinity?
1: So, yes, Advent is in full swing, and the kids are you know, Sunday school kids are getting ready for their program, and uh, the kids are getting ready to do to, 2021-style to caroling, which is because we normally would go into all the different nursing homes, but now we got to go outside of all the nursing homes. So, yeah, so it will be interesting to to kind of walk around windows and, and things. But, yeah, we will do our own visitation and, and visiting um, so all those things are happening and it's, um, it is a little overwhelming of a time, but we should mm-hmm. be overwhelmed in his grace and overwhelmed that he has come, uh, to us as, as we're trying to keep above, <laughs> above the water.
0: Absolutely. And that's where, that's why I love about this time of year, lighting the event wreath. It points us to, um, what grounds us, you know, you have the, the, the faith, candle, the hope candle, and then the joy candle, which reminds us that no matter our circumstances, these are things that the Lord gives to us as a gift. And so that's why we uh, focus today. And that's why, you know, this is what's fun. You know, you know what, Pastor, we, I've been doing this for almost a year, about a year ago is when I first called you. It's like, hey, I'm the new host. And you're like, hey, who are you? What's your deal? So it really <laughs> is a, it is a fun um, dynamic. So once again, thank you for being a regular On thy strong word, and it's a joy to be with you as Advent. So, with that joy, can you begin our time in prayer?
1: Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, our heavenly Father, in grace and mercy, you sent the light of your revelation, and that light leads us to Christ. Be with us throughout the season of Advent. Help us, O Lord, as your church to shine the light of Christ in our communities, to to be like John the Baptist and point the world to Jesus. For he is, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Christ who was to come. And this Christ who is to come is coming again. The one who sustains us and is with us every day as our, our Emmanuel. So be with us, comfort us, and strengthen us for our, our calling to be the light to the world, to shine the world to the great light, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray.
0: Amen. Amen. Reminder, if you have any questions for us today, send us a, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call us, 314-821-0850. 314-821-0850. Now, I want to address one question that came, and that I'm not going to address it with the answer, but Ian wrote wrote me a wonderful email concerning Matthew chapter 1. And as we look at Matthew chapter 1, th- there's just some unique number systems that are there and and so forth. So Ian, I have, I'm have I going to study this. Um, I've directed it to Dr. Gibbs, who wrote the commentary, um, who we had as a guest uh, to introduce Matthew. And just a reminder to you, our listeners, if you have questions, it might not necessarily be answered the next day or this one today or the day of. But it will be done within a week that is my um i don't want to say guarantee Uh, that's too much of a word but it's it's my attempt to make sure i do it within the week so by next wednesday um, ian i will address that and i'll email you to to tell you when i will so thank you for those questions they really help as we go through the text so pastor we're in a very familiar um text matthew chapter 2 and it brings up so many great memories growing up like I mentioned this morning. So, as you look at this, how do we make sure we're we're looking at it correctly, not just with the nostalgic eyes, but with simply the word of God and what it says. How do you want to start?
1: Yeah, yeah, everybody, well not everybody, but in our churches, it's great and uh in a lot of our homes, we have uh nativities like you said and it is uh it's wonderful when we get to see the full picture and when we go through this text, we won't, uh, (laughs) there's no warning needed that we're here to destroy and to uh, break apart your nativity set. We can understand (laughs) what um, uh, a nativity is doing, even though we might have to point out the reality that um, timing wise might be slightly different, but Mm. as um, iconography of old. You know, you have one painting and we've got the birth, the death and the resurrection of Christ in one painting. Sometimes mm. our imagery of the church has to incorporate all things. I mean there is some iconography that goes out into the life of church and we have figures that uh, you know, church fathers there at the uh, the crucifixion or there at the resurrection. They they were trying to trying to uh mislead us into the wrong dates or anything. Uh, but they're trying to draw us in that we are all there at the cross, we're all there mm-hmm. at the manger. So, um, no, we don't need to change our nativity scenes. There's maybe some ways that we can reinforce what is the, maybe the more biblical, accurate understanding. But even if that's not capable, our our nativity scene, our kids just love it. It's a big one outside of our church that mm-hmm. they can really they can get in it. <laughs> they can oh. get into the little um, manger area and kind of gather right out in with Mary and Joseph and see the baby Jesus. And they all, when it's put up, they all flock to it. Like when school's out there, the little ones are like, oh, the manger's up. We got to go see it. And nice. I, it's just the best thing ever. It's the best thing ever. And uh, we're oh. so thankful that they put them up. Every- but there's some there's some wise men in there. Um <laughs> So we'll have to deal with that, but it, it, we talk about it. We talk about it,
0: and um, yeah, it's great. So let's start there, as you mentioned it already, that we have the, the story, and, a lot, and, and the, the reality is it probably was not the night of his birth. Um, and so why would we think that? I mean, it's, it's in the movie, the nativity, and they came that night. I remember, you know, when we do a children's play, it's right there. Why would we have the audacity to say that they probably and might not have been there that first night? We'll start there.
1: Okay, so when we look at the dating, we have to kind of do, um, maybe harmonizing isn't the right word, but take all the different scriptures together and all of what's happening in uh, together to understand the, the fullness of the birth, the birth narrative, because we know— so we, what are some what are some important dates that we would probably want to to keep in mind? So we have the birth of Christ, of course, and then what happens right after? Uh, maybe excluding the the Magi coming, what happens right after? Well, we know there's a time marker of 40 days when Jesus is Jesus comes to the temple and is presented. And then you know we've got this great Nuke Diminish that we sing every year, or every year, every week maybe mm-hmm. for near churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that 40 days after his birth, Jesus is there in the temple. Why is that important in in this? Well, mm-hmm. if if the magi if the magi come to to G, uh, to, uh, to uh, King Herod looking for Jesus, looking for the new king. And uh, they come to Herod and, and ask him, where's the king to be born? And, you know, there's a searching out and they tell him be- Bethlehem. They they go. We know what happens after. We we know that he wants, he is, he's acting as if he piously wants to know. Herod piously wants to know. But we know that he wants to to um, bring the death of the the Christ child he is trying to, Hold on to his authority and, and power, and so it's hard to um, harmonize that time if it happens right as Jesus is being born, and then they want, and then Herod wants to kill all the, the babies from Bethlehem, and here comes a baby from Bethlehem. Um, Dr. Meyer once talked about this. And uh, he he said, you know, if you think about Jerusalem, there's going to be all these uh, wanted signs for babies from Bethlehem all over the place, and it's just is it's really hard to understand how that time frame could work. So he puts a marker at that they could have come 41 days, 41 days to two years, um, and he he leans. On earlier than two years, with Herod saying, "Well, you know it's uh, what what is this uh, a year, maybe it's six months, maybe it's forty one days. Well, I will you know, we will make sure, and we'll get all the children two years and under. And it's kind of a, a sweeping way of of uh, making sure that his call, that his power, his authority, would be protected um, so yes, if we look at the dating, I think those are the those are the brackets of time forty one days to two years um, after
0: that is very helpful i don't think I've necessarily broke that down with the forty days thing before, but that is so. So helpful to think about because yeah we we have a time range and that would be yeah. the time range because of that situation never connected it with that before and I do remember uh, when Paul Meyer came out with his uh, little book little kids book really the first Christmas and at the very end it has a Magi showing up and it's not a little babysit in there it's a little toddler and it's yeah. just a very good visual that connects us to the text and saying, okay, how can we do this the best we can possibly do? Clearly a 41 day old child would not be standing up, but if you put it in between the 41 and two years, yeah, you might have a, you know, crawling or walking or whatever Jesus at that point. So anyways, I wanted to start there just to get that first one out of the way. Once, like you said so well, we're not here to tell you, by the way, don't put those in there until, after epiphany or something and saying (laughs) that you're wrong. But it is good for us to be able to clarify and know, okay, what does the text actually say? So, Pastor, yeah, let's do this. The, it teaches the
1: full picture of mm-hmm. the birth of our Lord. And, and uh, Dr. Meyer and others, and I would lean towards this myself, that it, I do believe that it was an earlier date. Rather than the full two years or anything like that, because mm. it's not like Herod would want to take any chances with with children. It's not like they're checking birth certificates; they're looking at ages and asking for uh, how old is your children. And and but they're doing an eye check. You it's hard to tell There's a child between six months and eight months and ten months and two. You know, I, I think then he's he shoots out. And and Dr. Meyer talks about. Before I heard him talking about um, the reality of this humble family, Mary and Joseph. Before the before the well, the, the Magi get there, they're pretty humble. Um, it's not like they're they're a couple with great means, and and being away from home, it's not the easiest um, financial reality to to live in. Mm-hmm. So um, and it doesn't tell us that they go back to. <clears throat> go back to their to the nazareth home not till after their escape to egypt and then the return after herod died so um hmm. I, I would seem that that would be a little bit difficult to believe too that they're living that long away from home without just going back home well why wouldn't they've gone back home um so um i think it's hmm. soon i think it's soon uh but that 40 days is definitely and it can't be before i i I agree with him that it just seems impossible um for it to be before that <clears throat> and then they and then they go
0: that's that's well wow, that, that that's some good stuff we really good stuff so far here today now pastor as we go to Matthew 2 this is the only mention of the Magi in scripture It's from Matthew chapter two, which is kind of surprising in some ways, just because of how much is prominent in all of our nativity scenes. But it, it, it does, it does, there's a purpose for it in Matthew, which I'm looking forward to talking about too. Also, there is a thread that Dr. Gibbs talks about in his commentary is that it shows the human ignorance of each one of us and the need for divine revelation. And I think that is a good thread for us to think about with the the quote magi or wise men will commonly call them because, uh, well, they need some help too. So uh, let's, let's dig. Are you ready to dig into the text? I yeah. think I'm ready. Okay. Verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men came from the east, came from the east, ah wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I'm going to stop there just so we have some context. Any, any context you want to break down from that first verse?
1: So there is, uh, I agree with you, that these um, magi are not mentioned again. But the term magi mm-hmm. is in Daniel 2 right. um, with Nebuchadnezzar. So we have this, so that again is east. So uh, like um, Chaldea um you know and 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 within that story that that narrative of Nebuchadnezzar he has his dream and the the magicians and sorcerers and the magi could not answer they could not they could not interpret the ger- dream um because if you remember they they weren't given anything they were just told I had a dream interpret it <laughs> and they were—they're like, this is impossible. How could we do that? Daniel dead uh, because the Holy Spirit, because of God's activity, bringing him into understanding all things. God knows all things, and nothing is hidden from Him. Not—not not, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So, they're they are kind of given that. Um, so maybe our our attention be, should be in that region of the
0: world. I guess. Hmm. And it's it's interesting, yeah, because when you have the Septuagint, it literally says magi, which would have been some long lines of servants of kings, not necessarily kings. You know, like I said, I played right. as a kid, we three kings. Right. Um, and so it's the, definitely historically speaking, they would not have been seen as kings, but they would have been servants of kings and they were going to the king of kings. So that, you know, that connection is there. Um, and they definitely were not part of Israel. They would be what I would say is, is Gentiles. Is that is that how we would define them, or how would you say that, Pastor?
1: Yeah, and the term Gentile is kind of hard. I mean, if you want to just make it a, a a straight line, like some of the Jewish people would do, where it's like you have Israel and then you have the nations, then yes, they are not they are not Israel. They are not uh, most likely not Jewish, though there was um, you know with with Daniel, it reminds us that um, there was the, uh, the, the the Babylonian captivity um, and uh, to, yeah. to think that there could be this interaction between uh, the, the the remnant that that remains it doesn't come back with Ezra and Nehemiah in the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple and the walls uh, there are those that just that stayed um, so uh, maybe there is interaction. Maybe just because Daniel comes with uh, and 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 brings knowledge of the the Jewish faith, uh, that there would be an ongoing record um, that they would that they would know. Um, but yeah, I would I would agree with you. Historically, always they're known as Gentile, as of the nations, and um, Magi being maybe court officials. Um, that might be helpful.
0: And as we look at that too, do you did you find anything on King Herod? Because that's a prominent reality here in the days of Herod the king. And as we talked, we've talked about this so far, and actually got an email on this, is that this is, I mean, Matthew is speaking of kingdom, God's reign, that's it's coming, that has come, and will come again. And so here we have another king. So there's kind of a dichotomy here of a king and another king and who's the king and how's this all working so do you have anything on king herod the great so there's
1: definitely a contrast you know there's a contrast between the two kings jesus the the one true king the king of kings and an earthly king herod and king king herod the great and and it is always confusing we always have to kind of deal with it a little bit whenever we're in scripture like like sometimes we have to deal with you know what james are we talking about or what what john or or her uh you know, hear what Herod. Does. So this is Herod the Great, and and then he has his his children, and there is a Herod that will come after when we deal with like the uh, uh, the trial of Jesus. Um, that's a different Herod, and John the Baptist. Uh, that's, a, mm-hmm. that's a different Herod. That's his son, um, <laughs> one of his sons, part of the tetrarchy. So this Herod, Herod the Herod the Great. Um, <clears throat> he he's coming into power like 40 B.C., and his death is around 4 B.C. So there's a little issue with normal dating of Jesus' birth, but not far. I mean, it's pretty good to be within like a few years here of mm-hmm. what Absolutely. what was thought before. Um, so that shouldn't rock our, our faith at all. That should uh, strengthen us that throughout the years we're that we're that close um mm. and there's no year zero either, right you go from one b c to one a d so <laughs> That's true. um that that tightens it up a bit so um you know if we put the the uh star around six b c and then Herod's death around four that kind of gives us a a time frame here mm. and mm-hmm. Herod the Great was great um You know, often we we see him as the monster of the the death of of the babes of of Bethlehem, and he is. And he is a monster at the end of his life, too. He is pretty horrible. He kills his wife, his kind of favorite wife. He kills at least two of his sons. He Mm -hmm. does all these horrible things. Um, But as a uh, shrewd leader, he... He kind of lives through two different Caesars, and he was very devoted to the one who lost and still stayed in power. Um, that's pretty shrewd. Um, he was great at building. He, he uh, um, built a port city that, that Israel did not have until he built that. He, he rebuilt uh, the temple, renovated it, and, and glorified the yeah, temple yeah. and got the people to buy into that, which was pretty shrewd. Uh, So great in those sense, but also greatly evil too.
0: And that was interesting to me to just once again look at, breakdown, just looking at Herod, because like you said, we see him as this evil king, which he was, like you said, um, but also he's the guy that rebuilt the temple. I mean, it did go down in, in 70 AD and only 90 years of existence, really, but but it is interesting that um, it reminds us that even when things like, wow, look at that, he built the temple, he must be a very holy person. Well, there's always there can be evil there as well. You know, right. sin is very real. The, the devil is always at work and and it might look impressive, but yet in the midst of that, there is darkness and he loved power. And we see that play out in this true story. Um, when he finds out, wait, there's there's another king. This is not good. I need to take over in some way. And he's very shrewd, like you say, he's very intelligent in how he tries to take care of this. Pastor, anything else from chapter one, or um, chapter one, verse one? Um, I'm sure, but we can keep we can keep going. That's good. Watching <laughs> the time well, too. <laughs> that's right. I know we're 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 having a good time here so far. So let's do this. Uh, we'll read this verse two. Here we go. Verse two saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now, Pastor, as we said, the Magi are from the East. More than likely, they were not um, they were not believers. They're not from a believing land. And it's quite striking of what they request and what they want to do. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, it is striking. And so we have to be... Um... We have to be careful that that we don't make too much of them or too much of their seeking, because it might be too far to make them seekers of the Messiah. They're looking for a king. So somehow they knew that a king was to be born. The Christ um, talk will come not from them, but from Herod. Um, and so this star that arises yeah that that too is interesting because maybe we have astrology there but maybe it's astronomy Um, we don't (laughs) quite know we know that the star was (laughs) prophesied in scriptures in numbers Um, so maybe um, again when I said you reminded us that that Daniel and and others of uh, wise and And uh, noble families were taken off in the Babylonian captivity. And so um, these magi, in the sense of being scholars, maybe knew. Maybe they did know the scriptures. Maybe they knew this. Or maybe it's more somewhere in between astrology and astronomy um, of the... You know, Kepler talks, uh, when he when tried to talk about it, the star being a natural phenomenon instead of just um, a miraculous phenomenon, uh, kind of found the reality where, at around 6 BC, where Jupiter and Saturn um, are coming so close together, they, they almost, from the naked eye, would look like it's one star. And yet, Jupiter being the king, and then Saturn being the, the known for the defender of Palestine. So um maybe they took that and and said that that this is a, a a sign that we that there has been a a king that has been born or maybe it is simply um miraculous in the sense that this isn't a, a natural thing. There are a lot of people that have tried and every year there'll be something in in the news about finding the Bethlehem star and there's a really interesting kind of documentary um about it that people can watch i I don't know where i fall on that i i kind of go both ways sometimes is it is it natural star or a um, miraculous star angelic um but Hmm. it only brought them so far it only brought them so far and and that's pretty striking too
0: and that is a fascinating reality either way there was a star that led them there and so we give thanks that God works in the world in that way, just like the wind that took away the Red Sea so they could walk across dry land kind of thing. And it's amazing to think about how God works. But right now, Pastor, we want to jump on that thought as we move through the text. After our break, we are studying Matthew chapter 2 with Pastor John Shank, and we'll be right back. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 2 about the Magi with Pastor John Shank of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Now, Pastor, as we look at these first two verses, it is, I think we just have to keep it as simple as possible. That they obviously knew that there was a king. How did they know? We don't know. We know that they saw a star. What star? We don't know. And also that uh, they've come to worship. Does that mean that they are now believers in the one true God, Yahweh? We don't know. But we do know that they know there's a king and they're looking for him. So I have this common line in confirmation where kids ask questions that there's obviously no answer. So I say WDK, which is we don't know. We cling to what we do know. So is anything else you want to proclaim these first two verses of what we do know um, about this story so far?
1: Yeah, I guess the proclamation part of that is that God God wanted them to know something. That God wanted to reveal something to them and natural science and uh natural signs can only bring them so far. It's always the word of the Lord. It's always scripture that brings us to see the fullness of the revelation. And um and yet you know, in their bumbling and fumbling around, um, they are are the ones for whom God wanted to reveal His child to. So there is great, you know, obviously, epiphany is a, a great Christmas yeah. uh, for us as Gentiles because the nations we we have been brought to see. Uh, maybe they didn't know it before. That's that, but they, I, I fully do. <laughs> Believe that there is a revelation that was brought to them. Um, you know this. This child needs to be kept alive. You know the, even in the even in the in the dreams God had had used to to bring some greater revelation to them that they did not have before until they came to see His Son.
0: So let's keep moving forward, and verses three through six. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, this, I mean, this right there, we don't need to know history about Herod to know that that there's there's a um, there's a natural reaction of him and everybody else. So what do you, what 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 do you want to tell about Herod as he reacts to this?
1: Yeah, so he's troubled, but the, I think that some of the more troubling nature is, and all Jerusalem with him. <laughs> right, it's like, right. well, but maybe they were troubled because they knew that Herod's not going to react well to being challenged. Uh, maybe they knew that. Uh, maybe they knew that this means. Uh, disrupt disruption to their peace that they had with a foreign land of Rome. Maybe it meant that their Christ was here and they would be judged. And that's troubling, too. I, I think some of the remarkable reality is they are asked, where's the king? And what does Herod say? Where's the Christ to be born? So they knew uh, yeah. that the Christ is also the king in the line of David, and he's not. <laughs> in the line of David. Uh, he is a bit of a usurper king here. Um, so the true king comes and and they find a, a Bethlehem that reminds them all the more that this is the line of David.
0: That is interesting because it's partly a, uh, a conscience issue where he's like, I got to use my power or else I will no longer be king because I know there's going to be a greater king than me. In this whole process, and why he's searching for power, why he wants power, why he tries to control things—which you know we all have that tendency—I would say—to try to gain power and things, even small things or big things. And so he has that. Everyone knows that he's not going to react well to this. So there's an anxiety throughout the whole city, and it is ironic that they're in Jerusalem. This is the main place. And now the Holy Spirit leads these chief priests and scribes to know the answer. And you're kind of like, well, if they know the answer, he's going to be in Bethlehem. Why were they not more prepared to do something in Bethlehem? You know, and so it's kind of a a, really an intriguing quote from Micah chapter five that now they know where this Christ would be born, but they didn't really seem to be set up for this Christ to be born there. Any thoughts on that?
1: So, I mean, a thousand years, a long time. So... (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how long you like to wait (laughs) that's right that's right (laughs) (laughs) and we can say the same thing you know (laughs) that's why we need advent to prepare our hearts for the coming of christ because a couple thousand years is a long time um but not to the lord and he's using this time for great mercy and grace uh to to uh to bring us to to his Steadfast love and mercy. Uh, So uh, thankfully, they they, at least they knew to search the scriptures, and they they searched out that yes, he is he is from uh, Bethlehem as his father, or sometimes even saying as his father Jesse, because he's greater than David, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's it's uh, the king will be called from the the line of Jesse too, and uh, his. His greatest child, uh, Jesus, uh, who the world did not see as a worthy king, Uh, God sees the heart, and he saw the heart of his son as the true king of Israel.
0: It's interesting to me, too, as we hear this. So we got Herod. We definitely see where he's going. And then in verse 1, I forgot to highlight this before, when it says, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So there was definitely a, comp- a, a, a part of this where these magi were not the expected people to come. And this is like you alluded to before, they're unlikely devotees or unlikely recipients of this message. And so there's kind of a little bit of Herod's trouble because of power, but also like, who are, what What are they doing here? You know, what is the deal here and what's happening and God used it all, his Holy Spirit, to point them back to the word, obviously from Micah, and pointing them to the truth of this is where the Christ would be. So it's just, to me, this is not the John the Baptist moment, but there is this like pointing to truth continuously. And it's got to perk some interest because not a lot of people, you know, from the Nebuchadnezzar land, a lot a lot of believers came out of there, even though there would have been some Israelites. Um, and, and, you know, just not a lot, everything was different. Everything didn't look the way you would expect, which is why it's divine intervention to point right. them to the truth. So I just I forgot to highlight that before and I thought that was an important point. So anything else in I the think, first six I verses? Think,
1: I think so. I mean I think it would have been quite remarkable to Herod. You know, he's gotta be like, I've had other I've I've had some sons and no magi came knocking at the door that day, you know. It <laughs> was that, been the future kings of Israel. My sons born, and uh, no one knocked. Then he. That's why I definitely think that when they say, "Where's the king?" We saw his star. That he's he answers where. Okay, guys, where's the Christ supposed to be born?
0: Right, right, yeah. So he's even searching. He's searching in the midst of this as well, which is quite fascinating to think about. Anything else in the first six verses before we move on, Pastor?
1: Yeah, uh, I would just say searching, but then not for all the wrong reasons. Obviously, yeah, right, that's right? That's what yeah. we can do. And I, yeah, and I know you know, but I'm just saying, you know, um, isn't that what what people sometimes do with Scripture? They they search the Scriptures. They spend a lot of time reading it just to justify their actions, and they. Right. So here he's going to try to justify his action because he's the king and he should have no rival or something. Um, but yeah, he should be there prostrating too.
0: To the, the true king. And and this is where we come to seven and eight. So, and this is something that's interesting to me when I read this and I, I maybe I knew this, but I didn't think about it. Is that Herod literally sits the wise men down. I mean, probably takes them into their court in his quarters And says, hey, here's the deal. And he is crafty. Oh boy. I mean, he couldn't do what he did without being a smart dude. So he knew how to play the game. So verses 7 and 8, we see a little more how Herod acts. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And then sent to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So he brings them to the quarters, and what does he tell them? Yeah, so they,
1: they he asks about the star and when they saw the star, and he's uh, getting that in you know, it's just, yeah, as you said, crafty, and it is it is like a snake, you know, there's they're kind of being lured in, uh, or like a, I don't know, Spider with a net. They're 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 luring him in to give the information. When when and by the way, when did you see that star? Because he has all he he knew it from the beginning. Of there's a king to be bo- There's a king that has been born. What his heart wanted to do to that king, and which was to try to destroy. Um, so uh, gaining that information, he sends them off uh to to bethlehem but uh wants them to come back and he says so that they he too can can worship and it that, that's a tricky word um i think it's it's fine that we render it uh worship but it um you know it could mean to um adore to to bow down before to, you know so it could they when the the um when the magi are saying it it could that you know it could just mean that what you would do to a normal king you would bow down right um so yeah it's it's kind of a both and thing where we know that they should be worshiping and they're bowing down before the king um but we kind of have an inside track right the word of the lord kind of gives us a fuller picture than even the magi have here
0: and, that, and that's And that's a good point is that we don't want to go too far with the one word and act as if, you know, clearly he's not wanting to worship that we would think about. He also, I find it interesting, and I don't think there's an answer to this, but it's kind of fun to have conjecture in this whole thing, is why didn't he just go there himself and destroy the whole town? I mean, I just, it's kind of fascinating to me. Maybe there's some political reason or, I don't know, any theories? Because that's all we really have is a theory at this point. Any thoughts?
1: So with the, um, yeah, with like the 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 death of the the first, or with the the, the, the sons of Bethlehem. I mean, this is right. this is going to be a lot smaller number than what anybody, you know, we think like this huge massacre. And it's any one death is is horrible, um, but the numbers. Why why hasn't there been like a, you know, a memorial set up to all the children that died in Bethlehem? Because there probably wouldn't have been that many. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dr. Meyer says maybe, you know, maybe 12 and half those being girls. So maybe six or something, you know, like it's not, Bethlehem's tiny. So then, like you said, well, why didn't he just go wipe out the whole town? Well, the people knew about Bethlehem. Uh, So you can't wipe out a whole town without the people knowing that's the city of our King David, Right. So oh, true.
0: Good point. That Good would point. be a yep. little
1: bit more noticeable <laughs> than the death of six boys who are maybe, you know, two years or and under. There's uh... a lot of, uh, tragically, there's a lot of children in this time frame. And even now around the world that die from that time, you know, five years and younger, ten, you know, as infants. Um, and so that's probably not going to move the needle compared to all the other atrocities that Herod did. And maybe they go secretly or me, you know, we don't quite fully know, but, um, it would be a lot more noticeable if he goes and, you know, destroys the town and the people probably would not have stood
0: for that. And that's a good point. That'd be part of the political move. I, I totally, you know, I tend to think in extremes, you know, like, uh, the Vikings lose and I just think the world is ending. The Vikings win. I think everything's everything is just great and grand. So there it is. You I revealed myself. Sometimes I get too extremes. Like, why not just destroy the whole town without thinking about the significance of Bethlehem scripturally, historically, and such. So yeah, why would he do that? Well Da Brady, come on now. Let's let's get this back in perspective. But he and definitely was talking is to
1: a Lions fan today too. So, <laughs> so you so that are that happy is a cross as a clam. That you have to bear. <laughs> <It's> just,
0: <laughs> but yeah. Oh,
1: what a so week. I think what a week. yeah, he's he's um he tries Herod always tries to portray himself as the right king of Israel. And there is an action just like King David when he sinned he tried to hide it, cover it up. So he tries to cover up his actions. He tries to look like a pious king even though he does these horrible things. He wants the world to glorify him. He wants to, he wants to be great, Herod the Great. Um, so I think there is a a lot of that reputation in here, too. He's trying to do things secretively.
0: So as we look at that, we um there there's a reality to this that they we we've traditionally called them wise men. And there's an understanding historically, really since the eighth century, that they were men of wisdom from the east. Now historically speaking, that isn't necessarily how people saw them. That uh Dr. Gibbs speaks about this in historical right. accounts that they were they were seen as outsiders. They were right. seen as uh you know important people, but never as wise men. And for me, I found it fascinating that they they need divine intervention to do any of these things, and they kind of are getting duped by Herod in this process. As far as we can tell, we don't know if they're doing a wink, wink, you know, uh, you know, cross my fingers behind my back type of thing going on. But they, you know, were they wise men? Maybe. But does it explicitly tell us that? Not necessarily. Magi, like we said, Daniel too. They didn't know what to do with that dream, so it's not like they knew everything. Um, but it, I thought that was an interesting insight. Any thoughts on that?
1: And I think there is some naivete to their actions, right? Like yeah. Yeah. Uh, where do they go when they want to find this new king? They don't ask around in the city before they go to the palace. Hey, uh, why isn't anybody celebrating in, in the city? Because normally when the <laughs> king's son is born, the whole city is celebrating. And, hey, was did we miss it in, by by a, a year here? was were you, you guys were celebrating last year, right? And they'd all say, no, he doesn't have a – your your old kid, you probably wouldn't go knocking at the door to say, "Hey, there's a king in the land, yeah, yeah, not of your household." So where is he to be born? Like, uh, so there is some foolishness that they're having here, and it seems like they're being duped by the king. Um, you know, to say when was it, uh, maybe maybe by now they know like this is too much, but they were about to go back. It, they took God intervention in their dreams so they wouldn't go back to Herod
0: yeah it's it's fascinating to see them not not as like that they were just ridiculous or they you know they they weren't smart at all or something but let's, let's not put them on a higher level because every step along the way they needed divine intervention which i mean how can this not connect to ourselves we need this divine intervention as well so anything in the first, anything else in those a uh, few verses pastor um I, yeah I would just make one more connection which is and
1: just like Joseph did too right just like mm-hmm. jo- how, none of us yeah. could know the plan of God apart from God revealing his plan so it's not just them but Joseph was a righteous man and he needed God to intervene to show him you're you're righteous um you're a holy man you're not, you're not trying to do evil here but I am bringing about the salvation of of mankind um so yeah
0: Well, let's continue on, verses, uh, let's see here, 9 and 10. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Then they saw the star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So, Pastor, first thought I have, and I want to hear yours, is, and behold, so much like it was when the Magi show up, it was like, behold, wow, that's kind of weird. And then there's a reality that if there's another star that came similarly than before, I mean, how many times does that happen? I saw a shooting star the other night, and you're like, wow, that's cool. But if I saw a shooting star at the same time every single night or something, then you start like, hmm, this is odd. What's going on? So if you can tell that from them, and behold, the star that they saw went, and it just crazy enough went right to where the child lay. Any thoughts on these two verses?
1: Yeah, and that's why, it, you know, it still could be some kind of, you know, God's in the fullness of time, and God places the stars to govern the night and the sun to govern the day. So I still hold out some thought that it really could be a natural, not it's supernatural in the sense that God has done it, but um, mm-hmm. in a natural sense of being an actual plant, you know, because you, you could have planets going retrograde, right, and they come back. um, and so if they're watching what they call a star but we know it's a planet um it looks like it comes back cuz we're moving the planets are moving it's like if you go down the expressway and you pass another car well you know that car that you're passing is going what 65 70 miles an hour and you're going 75 and you pass it so it looks like it's starting to go backwards but you're but you're both going forwards so that's how like the planets uh, Go in retrograde because you're moving and they're moving at the same time, and they're your motion together. And it sometimes can look like that movement stops, and so there have been those that have looked at these things and said, "Oh, look at this! It kind of looks like it stops." Um, so it could be, but the reality is, if it is, all of this was planned out even before, um, even before we were created. That God would set the stars to point this out to the birth of His Son, and that is a great behold moment.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right, and I and I like how you're you're presenting this in a way that is, you know, we're 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 proclaiming the text, and we're kind of you know kind of enjoying the text for what it is, and along with enjoying His creation, and it's really an amazing true story of Holy Scripture, and I love in verse ten. Which I, I encourage you, our listeners, to think about this on Sunday. Is is you can put epiphany into this, but boy, they saw the star and they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. And Lord, may He do the same for us when we celebrate this time of year. Any thoughts on verse ten?
1: Yeah, yeah, we need joy today. There's a lot of there's a yeah. lot of heavy hearts at this time of year. Um, a lot of families hurting because they want to be all together. They want to be whole, and that's why we rejoice in this light because he comes to to bind up our broken hearts, and he comes to make us whole um, by being willing to be broken for us. And that is the greatest joy of all.
0: Well, let's finish out our text, 11 and 12. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, Pastor, we have about three minutes. So quickly, it doesn't appear that the number three ever shows up for number of people, but just gifts. So how many Magi were there? Yeah, we don't. <laughs> like
1: uh, the questions that come with ans- the same answer, just put in repeat. We don't know. We don't know. Um, we don't. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with having three because we have three gifts. Uh, so yeah, that is that is why we have three because one relating to each of the each of the one gifts. Uh, there could have been a caravan of people. There probably would have been a caravan of people. You probably wouldn't just travel just three of you across a very dangerous route. Um, so probably would have been more. Um, but it's good to remember the three because then it reminds us of the gifts. And it reminds mm-hmm. us that you're included and I'm included because he wants us all included, that for God to love the, the world that he sent his only son, he, he sent him to be born for you.
0: So as you look at this, he, they bring the gifts, and there's a lot of ink that's been spilled trying to explain each one of those gifts. <laughs> and what I've heard recently that I, that I really appreciate is they are gifts that you would give to the king. Does gold have a certain meaning, frankincense, myrrh? Maybe. But overall, it's kind of, we do a little bit of song and dance, I would argue. So we know that they truly see this Jesus as the king, which affirms everything that we've been looking so far of a kingdom that the Lord is bringing and will continue to bring. And so you have that reality. Any, any thoughts you have on that in verse 11? Yeah, I, I would just offer um, that
1: in and by these gifts, the holy family is is provided for too you know it's it's kind of like an egypt moment that the that egypt is uh kind of um sacked on the way out of town the the gifts are given to the to the uh slaves and and they leave now they're they're leaving from and and uh, f- from here to go to egypt It's kind of a reversal and and they're provided for with gold and frankincense and myrrh so they will be, God will provide for his son, and he'll, he'll take care of him, and he'll bring him along his course to the point where he sent him, the purpose for what he sent him, which is to be our sacrifice, to be our king who is willing to lay down his life, not to hold on to power and to, to keep it for self, but to use his authority for our salvation. And so to see God's hand, his Father's hand, in providing for them, um, so that so that they would be cared for along this journey that they're now on,
0: Pastor. We have about a minute left in our time. How would you, I mean, to look at it once again with fresh eyes? And I just feel so uh, there's so much richness here. How would you summarize this and what it means for us today?
1: I think it it means that the Lord wants our God wants his his message of salvation to go out to all the nations and this is how this epiphany has always been celebrated this is the the christmas of the gentiles that yes christ was born and he is the son of david but he's also your king he's the king of israel but now you have been grafted in he is a line and lineage but now now he's your brother and he has come to be your savior they're the ones who did not know the ones who could not see, a light has shined, and it shines on our hearts so that we can see that this Savior has been born for us.
0: Pastor John Shank of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Edwardsville, Illinois, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 2. Pastor Shank, thank you for the gifts. Thank you. I'm looking forward to Epiphany, but obviously in the middle of Advent, we still have joy. We light that candle this weekend, and the joy comes as our Lord is with us. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.